DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Sixth Rule. Although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, it is very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself, as by insisting more upon prayer, meditation, upon much examination, and upon extending ourselves in some suitable way of doing penance. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thanks, Chris. We're in desolation, spiritual desolation, that is. We're going through the process of the Ignatian exercises. And hearing from St. Ignatius the call to freedom from spiritual desolation, this wonderful spirituality of hope. Well, in Rule 6, St. Ignatius deals with something that touches a deep place in the life of many people, and I would say almost uh, above all, people who who sincerely love the Lord and are trying to serve the Lord. And I love Rule 6 because uh, many times as I'm speaking to groups, when we get to this particular point and begin to talk about what we're going to immediately talk about now, you can almost literally see a light go on in people's eyes. It's a beautiful thing to see. You see a dawning realization that there is freedom. It is possible. People would not put it in these kinds of words this explicitly, but... Oftentimes you may find this kind of thought, and if it were put into words, it'd be said something like this. I know that there are people who experience joy in the Lord. Maybe I felt it too at some times in the past, but it's been some time now since I've really felt much joy in the Lord in my heart. I do love the Lord. I choose to be faithful. I continue to pray to try to serve the Lord in my vocation. But it seems that what the Lord is asking of me is to serve him as best I can, as faithfully as I can, carrying a kind of heaviness in my heart, in my relationship with him, in my prayer as I go throughout the days. I do have a hope that in the eternal life I will experience joy in the Lord, but it seems that what the Lord is asking of me in this life is to carry this kind of heaviness. I remember a woman saying to me, a wonderful woman who who very much loves the Lord, saying once, I thought that what God was asking of me was to grunt and bear it. You can hear the heaviness in in that. Now, it is true that God does ask of us to carry certain situations in our lives. For example, if I'm doing the best to be a wise steward of my health and take normal, healthy care of my humanity, and there are physical problems, there are illnesses or struggles, or for example, in my my role in the family or at work or in my service in the church, there are certain responsibilities which I find at times burdensome and difficult to carry. We have a word for these kinds of situations in our life. In our life, in our Christian spiritual tradition, we call this the cross. 
And Jesus tells us in the gospel that the cross is a daily part of the life of anyone who would be his disciple. If you would be my disciple, let him, let this person take up his cross and follow me and so on. However, when the cross is carried with Jesus, like his Good Friday, it always leads to an Easter Sunday. Every, crime, every time we faithfully carry the cross with the Lord Jesus in ways sometimes that we can see in the moment and oftentimes will come to see, sometimes years later, new life will come in us and through us for others because we faithfully carry the cross. However, that is never true of spiritual desolation. God never asks of us to passively carry spiritual desolation. We are always called upon to actively with hope, with energy, with spiritual wisdom, with the tools that St. Ignatius supplies to resist, fight against the spiritual desolation until with God's grace it is overcome and its power is broken. That's why I keep saying this is a spirituality of hope. Now, what Ignatius does in Rule 6 is to supply for us four tools for doing that. Although he says in desolation we should not change our first proposals, which is what he said in Rule 5. Right. It is very advantageous, he says, not just advantageous, but very advantageous to change not our proposals, but to change ourselves. And he says to change ourselves intensely with energy and with hope and trust in the Lord, to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself. That's the change that we very much should make. We don't change our plans for our prayer, the retreat, the activity in the church and the rest but we do change the way we're facing the desolation itself. And that's what will begin to break the power of the desolation. And Ignatius says, by insisting more upon four means, prayer, meditation, much examination, and extending ourselves in some suitable way of doing penance. Prayer simply means petition. Ask for God's help. Here is a man who is alone in his room at nine this evening with a heaviness in his heart, normally prays a few minutes at the end of the day, feels no inclination to do it. And there, a few inches away from his hand on his desk is the mouse and everything in him, that pull toward low and earthly things that Ignatius describes in desolation, is active and it would be so easy to reach out for that now. And he feels weak and helpless and, and the voice of the desolation says, you've given in other times, you're going to give in this time, it's going to go just as badly. The first thing Ignatius says, in time of desolation, pray. Let this man simply turn to God and ask for God's help. Ask for the love of the Father. Ask for the grace and strength of the Lord Jesus, the light and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the help of the Virgin Mary. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, I'm struggling. I could very easily give in here now. My heart is heavy. Help me. Be with me. Now, is that too simple to say? Do we think to do that when right in the darkness itself of the spiritual desolation? We turn to the God who promises us, ask and you will receive. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. And, you know, I can, I can say, Chris, that as the years have gone by and I do my imperfect best to try to put these rules into practice in my own life, this has come to mean more and more for me. So many times now I can be in a time of desolation. Maybe I've gotten overtired, I don't feel any desire to pray, and I can start to feel all the, the troubles and heaviness and the rest of spiritual desolation. And I'll think of Rule 6, and I'll just say, Mary, help me. Jesus, be with me. 
And you know, sometimes in the moment itself of, of saying that prayer in my heart, I can feel something lift a little bit. Um, just that turning toward God. When the desolation wants me to believe that I'm far from God, just that turning toward God in, in a prayer, is, sometimes it feels like that's all I can do. I'm too weak to do anymore, but I can always at least do that. Just tell God I'm too weak and ask for his help. I can begin to feel a little lifting of my heart. And oftentimes what will happen is maybe an hour or two later in the day, something will have already changed. The desolation will be passed. And then I'll remember, I prayed for this and my prayer has been heard. This is the first thing that Ignatius counsels us. And I think it's not by chance that this is the first thing because this is the most powerful means. Ask the one who is infinitely powerful and loves us. Right in the time of desolation, just pray to ask God's help. The second thing Ignatius gives us as a tool right in the darkness of the desolation is what he calls meditation. And by this he means right in the darkness of the desolation, as I sit at my desk at nine o'clock feeling alone or alone in the kitchen table with my heart heavy, no one else here at the moment. Meditation. Let me call to mind the truths of faith that assure me of God's faithful presence and love with me right in the darkness of the desolation and assure me that his grace is with me in such measure that I can safely get through this desolation without any harm. People have favorite verses in the Bible that they underline. I love those Bibles when you see them all underlined like that or maybe the liturgy of the hours and certain verses in the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though I walk in a dark valley, I fear no evil. Why do we love Psalm 23 so much? Because it exactly is this kind of meditation. Right in the darkness, the dark valley, I call to mind that I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, you are with me, with your rod and your staff that give me courage. I remember a woman telling me that she had what she called her anti-desolation song. It was a hymn, and a couple of verses that she would sing right in the time of desolation. It was perfect. Verses about God's faithful love. If I may share one personal moment. I had been stationed outside of the country for some years, and then by my superiors was transferred back to this country. And given the responsibility for our seminarians who were in their years of theology, their final years of preparation before priesthood, and it was a very, very difficult assignment for me. There was a whole cultural change, a whole new setting, a new group of people, and a work for which I didn't feel prepared or competent. And there were other factors, which I, I won't need to go through them all, but it was one of those situations that was not only painful, but was becoming unbearably painful for me. This was a winter's evening. I stepped off the subway in the city, about a quarter of a mile to walk toward the house where the community, the seminarians, and my work awaited me. I can still feel the cold of the winter's evening, the darkness. By the side of the sidewalk, the snow piled up. Busy street traffic streaming by, and each step taking me closer to something that everything in me did not want. And just saying in my heart to the Lord, why is this happening, Lord? Why do I have to go through this? I'm just trying to do the best I can. And then, and it certainly was purely grace because I wasn't thinking of Ignatius' sixth rule or anything like this. I found this phrase take shape within my heart. I have been here before. I have been at other times in my life in situations in which I have felt just what I'm feeling right now. 
And I can look now back at those situations at a distance of some years and at least glimpse some of the reasons why the Lord may have allowed them, some of the blessings that came into my life through them. And I can't say that the heaviness completely disappeared from my heart, but something lightened a bit within me as I found myself able to say that even though I don't see it now, I can glimpse the fact that someday I may see why the Lord is allowing me, permitting me to go through this now. That little phrase, I have been here before, is one of my points of meditation in time of spiritual desolation. Recently, I was looking through some of the journaling that I do. I'm a writer, and it helps me to write in this, about spiritual things. And I was kind of struck to see how often that phrase comes back. When I am in a time of spiritual desolation, that phrase, I have been here before, tells me that there's a reason for this. I'll do my best, and someday I'll understand more why the Lord is, is causing, allowing me to go through this, this darkness right now. I remember a woman religious... She was in her mid-70s, deceased since that time, wonderful, wonderful woman, religious, mm-hmm. saying to me that when she gets into these low times, Lord, you've carried me faithfully for 55 years in religious life. You're not going to drop me in this little thing. It's, it's a perfect point of meditation, remembering God's fidelity in the past, in the present time of desolation. What each of us can do then is to prepare our personal like a quiver of arrows, you know, uh, prepare a kind of like an arsenal mm-hmm. of points, scripture verses, memories of God's fidelity in the past, and so on, that we can call to mind and consciously reflect on right in the time of desolation. This is the second tool that Ignatius suggests to us as a way of overcoming, changing ourselves intensely against the desolation itself. We'll return in just a moment to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts, and either download our free apps which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. The Sixth Rule Although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, it is very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself, as by insisting more upon prayer, meditation, upon much examination, and upon extending ourselves in some suitable way of doing penance. The first one is prayer, petition, just ask God's help. The second one is meditation, call to mind in our own personal ways, 
the truths of God's faithful love that can sustain me and assure me of the truth of his presence with me right in the darkness of the desolation. And the third is what Ignatius calls much examination. Now, why would Ignatius invite us to much examination right in the time of the desolation at nine o'clock alone in my room? Because the unreflective, undiscerning response to these times of spiritual desolation really is, is a flight into something that feels more gratifying. Again, these are the times when it just feels so miserable that I flop in front of the TV. And when I get up two hours later, what's in my heart? The aspirin has worn off, but the symptoms are still there. The desolation is still there. And maybe just a shade a little heavier because something in me knows that I kind of gave in in a way that really wasn't, wasn't helpful. These, again, are the times that we head to the refrigerator and again and again or begin clicking with the mouse on the Internet. Of course, there are many things that we can do that are not good for us and not helpful for us if we are unreflective and undiscerning in the time of spiritual desolation. Ignatius says, do just the contrary. Stop and look at it. Examine it. And many times what we're going to find is that we can, we can name how this got started. This morning, actually, as I think back now, there was consolation. I had a wonderful time of prayer this morning with the scriptures. Mass was alive for me. There was delight in my service in the Lord. This began in mid-afternoon when I got that email made me aware of this struggle or this problem that I'm going to have to face in some aspect of my life. And that's where things started to take a downhill turn or that remark made by that person in the workplace or at home. Now, if everything is dark and the sensation that it's I'm far from God and it's, everything's kind of falling apart, I can't deal with that. That feels like it's overwhelming. But if it's something that began when a person made a remark, I can deal with that. And I can make very concrete plans about how I'm going to try to heal that situation or improve that situation. When I'm at my best anymore, not always at my best spiritually, as I, probably if I may say it reverently, most of us aren't always. Mm -hmm. But when I am anymore, I'll, I'll do this literally. When I find something heavy on my heart and I don't know what it is, I'll take the first free moment I can get. Sometimes I can see myself walking down a corridor toward the next meeting. And here's an empty room and I've got two or three minutes and I'll go in and shut down, shut the door and sit down and ask the Lord to help me understand what's going on. And it, it's, it's, it's wonderful when you can begin to see, you get further light on it. That total sense that everything's just kind of dark today and heavy today shrinks down to this is what's bothering me. This is how this got started. Then I can start to do positive things about responding to that. Remember a woman who um, is a married woman, works as a nurse, very, very busy days, telling me that when she finds something weighing on her heart in the midst of these incredibly packed days in the hospital, she sort of somehow sort of places it near her heart. And she rides the commuter train home. That's her time when she'll stop and look at this. That's what Ignatius is talking about, is this much examination in time of spiritual desolation. Here's a scenario man who loves the Lord, we'll call him Ray, you can find this in the book, rides, a, rides the train to work each day, prays with scripture on his way into work each day on the train, but today finds that he's not really drawn to it, he tries, it's distracted, he can't really pray very well, gets to work, normally he's cheerful and very patient with others as he's growing in the Lord, this is becoming more and more a way of life, and the others are aware, not of his growing faith, but they're aware of a change in him, which everyone appreciates. 
But today he finds himself out of sorts and impatient, just wanting the workday to be over. Lunchtime arrives. Normally, as the lunch hour is beginning, he takes a few minutes to pray. Today, with a heaviness of heart and not feeling any desire for prayer or any closeness in the Lord, he just lets the prayer go. By the way, can we see Rule 5 in that? Oh, yes. In a time of spiritual desolation, changing a spiritual proposal which was in place before the desolation began. And find, finding himself even now feeling kind of drawn toward going, not to take his lunch with the others in the building, which he usually does, but going off to a public place, which he knows is not really good for him, and taking his lunch there. That's that pull toward low and earthly things in the time mm -hmm. of spiritual desolation. And he's just about to do this when suddenly something clicks. Something's wrong here. Something's going on here. I need to stop and look at this. Now, in terms of the big three of discernment, be aware, understand, take action, that's the first. Wait a minute. Something's going on here. Suddenly he has become aware that something's going on. Doesn't yet know what it is, but he's aware that something's going on. He stops, sits down in his office, asks the Lord's help, and begins to examine what's going on. The fact that he couldn't really pray well on the train, his impatience with others, omitting his usual prayers, the lunch hour start, started, this pull toward going to a place that's not good to him, good for him, all of these are telling him something's wrong here. How did this get started? And he thinks back and he remembers that as he was leaving home this morning, his young son just wanted his attention, but rushed and bothered by the need to get going, he, he just ignored him and was aware of the hurt in his wife's eyes as she saw this mm. and his son's disappointment, but was too busy to really pay attention to either. And now he can see that that's when this got started. That's it's, Since then, my heart's been heavy, and that's why I haven't really wanted to pray and why I've let prayer go at the lunch hour. All right, can we see the second step of the big three now in place? He was aware that something was going on, but now he understands it, which is a powerful thing in the spiritual. Can you see why Ignatius invites us to much examination in time of spiritual desolation as a way of resisting it? And now that he understands this, he knows immediately what he needs to do. He picks up the phone, calls his wife, and apologizes. Just just tells her that, sorry for what happened this morning, and he knows he'll he'll address this with his son. He can hear in his wife's voice how grateful she is for this phone call, and, and the heaviness now lifts in his heart. And now he undoes the change that he made at the start of the lunch hour, and he takes a moment to pray the way he normally would have at the start of the lunch hour. And this is a beautiful thing, too, because if we ever have made changes in time of spiritual desolation, the story's not over. Redemption is always available. He undoes that unhealthy change, and no harm is done avoids taking lunch in the place that would not have been good for him, joins his fellow workers for lunch, his habitual cheerfulness is there again, prayer is alive again. This is what Ignatius is getting at in Rule 6 when he calls us to much examination in time of spiritual desolation. Look at it. The sixth rule. Although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, it is very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself, as by insisting more upon prayer meditation, upon much examination, and upon extending ourselves in some suitable way of doing penance. We'll move from the third to the fourth of these means that St. Ignatius gives us, which is what Ignatius calls extending ourselves in some suitable, he's clear about it, not some unsuitable, but some suitable way of doing penance. My uh, slight reworking of these phrase would be this, he invites us to suitable gestures of penitential courage. Mm. Now, 
why would Ignatius call us to suitable gestures of penitential courage right in the time of the desolation? Because, as we've said, the undiscerning response to spiritual desolation is a kind of a flight into gratification of some kind. These were the mouses and remote controls and refrigerators and the rest of, of these things get involved. And we all know that that kind of flight into gratification just not only does not help, but it kind of makes things heavier. And so Ignatius says, no, stand your ground and make small, suitable gestures of penitential courage. Do exactly the opposite of what the desolation is encouraging you to do. Now, if I may say it, I have become shameless about these. It doesn't matter how small they are. Do them. We take one small step with the Spirit, and we'll find that the Spirit opens up the next and the next and the next. If the best I can do before heading to the refrigerator is to wait 10 minutes, let me wait those 10 minutes. God can do a lot in 10 minutes. If the best I can do is wait 15 minutes before I begin clicking with the mouse, let me wait 15 minutes. God can do a lot with 15 minutes. If the best I can do is to smile at the last person I want to smile at, let me do that. Perform a service for a person when I have no inclination to do that. In the spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius describes how if we want to pray for an hour, let's say, when our hearts are in consolation, it's easy. The time flies by. Mm-hmm. But in desolation, that hour can seem eternal. You know, I look at my watch and it's still only 15 minutes into the hour and it's the fourth time I've looked at my watch already. <laughs> we all know that experience. Yep. What Ignatius says then, in such times, not only do we not shorten the time we'd planned on, we see it faithfully through to the end, but to thoroughly defeat the enemy, he says, add just a little bit more. Not another half hour, add another minute. This is what Ignatius is getting at with these suitable gestures of penitential courage. Instead of just caving into the desolation, we stand our ground with small but highly effective gestures of penitential courage of this kind, and we will see that they make a big difference. Now, what's going to happen if in a time of desolation I turn to God in prayer and ask for his help? I call to mind the truths of faith, past experiences of God's fidelity that can strengthen me, biblical verses that can strengthen me in the assurance of God's love in the time of desolation. That's the meditation. Like this man in his office, I sit down and with the Lord look at what's going on until I can understand more about it, which sets me free to take action to reject it. And instead of fleeing into gratification, I stand my ground with small, effective, suitable gestures of penitential courage. What's going to happen with God's grace is that that desolation is not going to go on and on and on and get deeper and deeper and deeper, but it is going to be lighter and pass all the more quickly because I have taken this kind of initiative. Let me conclude then just with a a lovely verse from Emily Dickinson, a poem that I love, who says, to fight aloud, that is to fight an exterior foe, to fight aloud is very brave, but gallanter I know, who charge within the bosom the cavalry of woe. That's the invitation of Rule 6, to change ourselves intensely against the very desolation itself, which, as Ignatius tells us, is very advantageous and sets captives free. It's beautiful, Father Gallagher. Thank you. It's always my privilege. You've been listening to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. 
to hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher.